that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola, and we've got a very special episode for you today. We are being joined by a guest of honor who has been an incredible supporter of not just the Italian American Podcast, but the Italian American community for a very long time. She is a woman who has done so much for the Italian American community, for younger Italian Americans, uh, a mentor to many, and a mentor to all of the ladies here at the Italian American Podcast who happen to be with us today. So uh, all the way from Scranton, PA, our associate producer, Miss Stephanie Longo, is with us, joining from the Borough of Kings, just like I am, Miss Rosella Rago, and the co-foundress, as Pat likes to say, of the Italian American Podcast, coming in from her... Uh, Actually, Kuma, where are you? Where is she? Who knows? Yeah, where is she? Who knows? Wherever she is. I don't know if you're upstate, (laughs) downstate. You caught me there. Wherever you are, uh, Ms. Dolores Alfieri Taranto is here, the mysterious one. Uh, We spent some time together, though, last week. Dolores came. uh, You did come to visit me, Nicole, and the baby, so that was really nice. Nice to get to spend time with you and Angelo, and it was good. It It was a lovely, old-fashioned feeling Sunday. We felt like we just hung out. In like our socks, yeah. ate. <laughs> yeah, Dolores brought bread. It was long overdue. The babies were kind of playing with each other. Um, Angelo's about two years older than Giovanna, but he kept going in to kiss her and hug her, and she was cracking up laughing. It was very. She sweet. was loving it. We were what working all on about. We were working on Amushata there. It was we were close. I think. I think we had a. Yeah. I think we had a little leg up because she was rubbing his face and it was just wonderful. We can't decide if we just want them to be really, really close cousins or to get married. Yeah, so. well, that's, you know, <laughs> if it was 200 years ago in the village. That would be it the would have been boundary the for everybody, thing. really. So what's the difference? You know, we're just and these faces we have. And yeah, these right. Voices we have in these ears. Yeah, yeah, we all look somewhat similar. Similar. Uh, and we are joined today by the voice you hear right now. One of. <laughs> America's and one of Italian America's most beloved storytellers is the best way I can describe her Aww. because she's been a novelist, a screenwriter, a playwright. A, she's just a storyteller, if that's okay for me to say. Adriana Trigiani, welcome back to the Italian American podcast. Beautiful, and that's the most, that's the highest compliment you could pay me. Oh, thank storyteller, you. Storyteller, because really it applies to everything, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. That, that's every time somebody asks us about why and what we're doing here. I come back to the idea that, like, I love stories and I love to hear other people's stories, our guests and our uh, our stories we share as co-hosts. And, yeah, we just want to give the world those stories, preserve them and, and pass them on. So that's what we're doing. Really about the fact that we appreciate and treasure our family stories. When we're specifically talking in our Italian-American community, whether whether your mother and father are both Italian, whatever the case may be, the enduring stories appear to be the stories of our Italian people because we tell them. And, you know, we talk about it a lot. And by the way, I have uh, apologies to share from the notorious P.O.B. Pat O'Boyle. He is teaching, professing right now, so he can't be on this conversation, which he would have loved to. But uh, I always end up quoting him when he's not here. And he always says, you know, we, we come from a people where we think we've heard all the stories and we think we've told all the stories, but we're actually sort of shy and 
maybe it's humble, maybe it's uh, just our way, but there are so many stories to be dug out that haven't been told, and, and that's part of our responsibility too because the stories of every Italian-American somehow intertwine with our own lives, and I think we give people a lot when we pull these stories out, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, agree 100%. Well, you've got a story that is about to come out, and uh, one that we're excited to talk about today. I, I, I want us to get to the book, The Good Left Undone. Is that the right pronunciation, Undone? Well, I say Undone. The Good Left Undone. Uh, uh, it, it, is Undone the place, or undone, you're using Undone the word? Undone the word. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was I the place. I can't tell if he's being sarcastic. I know. I seriously did. <laughs> I thought I, you were telling a joke. No, I haven't read the book. I thought it was about a place called oh Undone. My God. Well, you read, okay, when you read the book, you will see that it's from a triptych. It's not out yet, it's though. In a church. Hang on. A triptych in a church in 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 Soto del Monte, Italy, oh, in northern God. Italy in the Lombardy region. There's a triptych by attributed to Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, wow. who becomes kind of a character in the novel in a tiny, wee tiny way when she, when my character goes to France and then to Scotland. But there are promises made, and uh, Saint Bernard said, "If you heed these warnings." you will gain eternal life. And in the past, there's three things. The evil done, the good left undone, and the time wasted. Wow. And then, and my book is split into these parts with the triptych. And I found it so profound that I built the whole world of the novel around those those warnings. It's funny that I, in reading about, because I, I only have the... Uh, publication description to to go from and reading about it my assumption was the good meaning the good people leaving an italian yeah, town you, called I, Undone, I just, you know that would be a great book but that's i was not. just thinking yeah you, <laughs> sorry you about that a completely different title yeah. like that's that if you change undone right? yeah it's a completely different, different that's kind of yeah. that was impressive it was kind of like deep. i didn't think of the good as the good acts i thought of the good as the good people but this is interesting because the good acts left undone Wow, that's a very deep it's pretty, concept. Pretty, it's pretty darn deep, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Wow, I, you never really think in that way. So, so, so tell us then, where does the story come from? How did you get to this triptych? How did this develop into a story? Well, as I go on, this is my 20th book. It's a layering process, really. I'll hear of something. Th- this book was certainly had one of the longest trajectories of anything I've ever written. Um, the shoemaker's wife was a 25 year in the process. If I could turn the camera around, you'd see all these notebooks full of stuff here. And they're just loaded with, I, you know, ideas and stuff just loaded, loaded with stuff. And, um, eventually what happens is that threads will come together to make the fabric of it. And in this particular situation, I became obsessed with gem cutters because of a trip to the Vatican and the Vatican jewels. And then I began to trace them. And then a friend of mine, Kristen Krantz said, this was in 2018, I am signed up for a class at Christie's. I can't come to New York, take the class. And it was called Maharajis and Muggles and their Magnificence. Hmm. So I learned that when you got engaged and you bought your girlfriend, now your wife, a diamond, that diamond had many, many lives before it was on her hand. And that stones have properties. And when something has a property, it means it has an energy. And if something has an energy, then it has an effect on the person wearing it. Hmm. So 
all of these little threads began to come together. And then I directed a movie in Scotland with Craig Ferguson and Kathy Lee Gifford called uh, Then Came You in 2020. It came out in 2020. And it ends up that when I was there, I made a list one weekend when I was not, didn't have any obligation to the movie, was by myself. And I made a list of places I wanted to see in Glasgow. So the first place I went was St. Andrew's Cathedral because I was interested in it because it was Catholic. Then it flipped to Protestant for 350 years. Everybody knows the history of that. And now it was Catholic again. When I got there, there was a wedding going on. And in my Italian tradition, and I'm sure in yours, it's good luck to see a bride on her wedding day. So I hung out and went to the wedding, which is something that I have been known to do uninvited. (laughs) So I was taking pictures. And when the bride came out, I got pictures. And a man behind me said, who are you? Because I think when I'm crashing a wedding that I'm invisible. Yeah. And he asked me my name and he said, you're Italian. And I said, yes, I am. It was the priest. Yes, father, (laughs) I'm Italian. He said, then you need to see the garden. And when I went to the garden designed by a Roman architect and it was erected there in 2010, this was now 2018, I found out the story behind the garden. It was a memorial garden. And this is the essential thing. When I'm going to write something, I have to have a complete emotional connection and reaction to it. And I had a little breakdown in that garden all by myself when I read the names of the victims of the Arendora Star on July 2nd, 1940. And that sent me down the historical research and rabbit hole. Can, can you tell me? Because I have never heard of the Arendora Star. What is this? You know what, John? I'm not going to be I'm not surprised you haven't heard of it. I never heard of it. A lot of people that read a lot and hadn't heard of it. And this is the big one. My British publishers had never heard it. So when you start to look at American history and they go, well, I didn't know about that. Well, first of all, 50% of your history is not reported because there isn't women in it. Mm -hmm. Start with that. And in this particular situation, the quickest way I can explain this is every ship, boat, dinghy, canoe, every was requisitioned by the British government. World War II had many false starts, but once Mussolini declared war, which was June 4th, I believe, 1940, don't anybody like... It's June 1940. If it's, I think it's the fourth. It's yeah. June, I think it's the fourth. Yeah. It changed everything because just like in America, where we had an influx of Italian Americans, you had an influx of of Italians to Northern Scotland or to Scotland itself, which is north of London. Now we also lived in London, and we also did a thing where we would come over, make the money, and go home. That was another thing that was going on because it's. I always say that Italy is the Florida of the UK. Of- <laughs> That's very true. Where people yeah. fly down here to get warm and then they come home. All right. <laughs> and there's a, there's a, there's a relationship between the Brits and the Italians. There just is. So in Scotland, you had all these, these basically just like we are first and second generation Italian Scots, but Winston Churchill kind of panicked And he said, collar the lot and get them off the island. And that's why you now have Italian pizza in Australia and New Zealand and the Falklands and Canada. Because they rounded up the men and shipped them away. And what happened on the morning of July 2nd, 1940, is that the diabolical Nazi general Gunther Preen was running a U-boat operation 
underneath uh, uh, in in the sea in the in the sea between Ireland and England. Okay, so Northern England. He had one torpedo, and these luxury liners that had been requisitioned as prison ships were wrapped in barbed wire, loaded. The Italians were in the bottom. Nazis from Germany and what they called Jewish intellectuals were on this on the main floor, and at the top was the crew. And the torpedo hit the gears, the engines, the whole thing, and the ship began to sink, and the Italians were trapped. <laughs> Some jumped off, tore through the barbed wire, made it off, most perished. And those were the 730-some names I read on the triptych inside the, the plinth. And that inspired the beginnings of this project. True beginning is my contemporary Italian family. See, I look at this novel like it's a contemporary novel, but when they go to market it, they said, oh, but so much takes place in the past. Well, okay, whatever. Because I was making a point about the Italians of today and how they view their history. So when you read the book, you'll, you'll see my, my, my take on it is that sometimes stories get lost. And the, the main character, Matelda, who is the matriarch of this family that's in the jewelry business, okay? There were poor artisans and gem cutters, but after World War II, they began to make money, like a lot of our people. Sure. And so the story of this family is, is she says, a family is only as strong as their stories. And she has never really told the story of her father. And the, the book makes all of this very plain, it peels it like an onion, but her father was a Scottish sea captain that her mother, when she was banished from the village, she was an educated girl, young woman, uh, around the age of 30. And she was sent away because she went against the teaching of the church to help a patient. And she's sent to a convent in Marseille, France. The, the, the doctor arranges it that trained her along with the nuns. When this breaks out, this all happens in 1939. She can't go home. If you were an Italian abroad, you were stuck. You were not going home. But they also knew she wasn't safe in France. And she had already worked off her penance, but they sent her to Northern Scotland, to Dumbarton, to a convent there to be the nurse, school nurse. It's a sleepaway, you know, like a boarding school. And that's where the story, the story takes off from there. Ooh, there's a lot in there. There is a lot in there, yeah. Yeah. So Adriana, this is your, you said this is your 20th book. Mm -hmm. How do you keep up that pace? I mean, you're writing what you're publishing one a year. Well, I was, and then I, I slowed my role here because the world has changed in terms of books. I mean, there's just so much in terms stuff of everything. Yeah, books included. <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> well, I mean, self-published books, there's 1.8 million out there from last year. Okay. That was a market that did not exist when I started 22 right. years ago. Didn't even, nobody even talked about that. Right. Now it's a heavy part of it. Of course, those, those self-published are published by traditional publishing houses have a stake in them. So people are stretched thin, editors, copy editors. If you wrote a book at home years ago, you could hire a copy editor who could really do a good number on it. I, I don't know anymore about any of that. Also know that the traditional publishing houses are kind of, we have as many imprints, but they're collapsing. But you have so much editorial talent. You have so much writing talent in terms of people inside the publishing house who choose the books and, you know, and buy the books and so on. 
that it's become a business that's, well, I'm going to say daunting isn't the right word, but it is sort of. Um, the business is, it's the only one during the pandemic that went up 30%. It's publishing because people were reading. Wow. As a business model, it's very interesting right now. But I, when you ask me, you know, did I do one? I'm never going to do one a year anymore mm. because I have, I need runway in order to promote it. The reason you've heard about this book is because you've had almost three years to find out about it. I've been able to get the word out. Right. And now I have an, an enormous tour. So it, it, you know, and book of the month club selected it. Okay. These are the things that you pray for, but it is the book of my career. I love every single book I've written. This one, you'll see an elevation of the storytelling. Well, that's exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. I love the way you just phrased that. What's your process like? Do you just like finish one book and then immediately start another, another manuscript? I do, Ro. I do. And some of the books are very well developed already. Like the next book that I'm writing, I developed kind of alongside this one, which I know I don't write on it until I'm done with the other one, the first, the good left undone. But I'm, I'm always thinking. Or undone. Some of us. <laughs> or undone. Yeah. My, my mistake. Sorry. That's hilarious. <laughs> That'll never happen again. I couldn't let it go. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it was just delivered and I had to take it. <laughs> I sure had to get that joke in there. And I <laughs> That's just so crazy to me, like as a writer, I mean, that you have all these books in process and, you know, you finish one and you pick up another one and you bring like an idea to fruition. That's so crazy how, you know, they're well, the I'm, next- speaking, I'm speaking to a bunch of very accomplished professional Italian Americans. And I'm going to tell you something. There was a time we couldn't get in the door in publishing. OK, everybody goes Mario Puzo, Mario Puzo. That was 1968, folks. Yeah. I mean, it was just a minute ago in terms of literature. OK, now, of course, we can talk about Helen Berlini and we could talk about Pietro Del Donato. We could talk about the great ones. There's a man now, Sandro Veronese. I think he's brilliant from Italy. But as an Italian-American woman, for me to be on the bestseller list, very big deal. That's why I work so hard for my fellow Italian-Americans, because our stories are important. And, you know, we suffered under the, the tarp of don't put your business in the street. Well, you have to to tell a story, don't you? You're very right about that. Kind of do. What are some of the experiences that you've had as an Italian-American woman in publishing? And have you dealt with any kind of difficulty getting your stories out because they're so heavily focused on our community? Well, let me just put it to you this way. I've been very lucky and I've had key Italian Americans in the publishing industry look out for me. And I have had by and large a wonderful experience, but Stephanie, that's not the stuff I'm talking about. It's what's not said. There's libraries. There's a library in Pennsylvania that wouldn't have us. And now I'm going to appear there, the Philadelphia free library. It's notoriously not Italian. Okay. So I want to load it to the gills with Italians and you better come, Steph. Of course. <laughs> Give me the day. <laughs> they finally invited me after 22 years. I've been saying, can I get in there? Can I please? Oh, wow. Really? Wow. I'm there. Just tell me when and I'll be there. And I don't mean to listen. Anybody who's there now is not the problem. Okay. The people that invited me this year, they're not the problem. Yeah. I'm just pointing out facts. That's an example. Then some other, and then, you know, you got, you got your sisterhood and your brotherhood behind the scenes pushing for you, 
But if Italian Americans don't buy books, right. we don't get a say, folks. So if you believe in us, and if you believe that I'm somehow carving, get get the book. Yeah. That's all you got to do. It's like voting. That's what we say all the time. It's yeah, true. We mm-hmm. do. That whole yeah. bookshelf behind me is just filled with Italian American authors. And it's important to do that. Well, yeah. I understand that. And it's beautiful. And it's, you know, look, get everything because, you know, for the price of a cup of coffee, you can get a book these days. Okay. Yep. So the first thing I would say is, and you know, we have, I am books up in um, Boston. You have Italian American owned businesses. You have the bookmark shop owned by Christine Frigletti. I'm going to be there, you know, represent for your peeps. <laughs> what can I say? You know, we're going to pack them in in Youngstown. We sell out. Okay. Brando Cavallo is doing a big thing in Pennsylvania. This is years of cultivating this. Stephanie, I have been in contact with for 15 years, probably yeah. at least. At least. Dolores, 12. Row. What is it now, Row? Is it 10, 12? I mean, you know, and basically, John, I, you're all I hear about. So, <laughs> oh, wow. you know, and you're always traveling and doing great things. It's like Charlie with Charlie's Angels. There you go. Okay. So, <laughs> So there's a, um, there's a movement. So look, I don't need it, but the ones behind me do, or the ones with me need it. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you from my experience as a professional Italian American and years at NEF and other organizations, and I've always said this, and I don't know if I've said this on the air, but I've always said, you just said something. It's not about you, right? You've got all these New York Times bestsellers, you're 20 books and plays and movies and but you really obviously in the relationship you built with the three ladies on here and and others you care and you you have this sense of I think Italianness that I learned from my family which is hey if we're breaking through doors or glass ceilings or barriers to entry that existed for our people bring as many of us as you can in right like help everybody elevate you're you're hitting it you're hitting it listen in show business okay I just want you guys to know this, and I'm not I'm 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 speaking to the choir probably here a little bit with the folks that listen to this podcast. You gotta support the Italian American filmmaker. And I'm talking about the women. I don't do mob pictures. Yeah. Now yeah. maybe one day I'll surprise you all and do one that you want don't see coming. Okay. <laughs> Which would be a lot of fun. And there's look, look, you know, you spent time on The Godfather. Listen. The story of Mario Puzo, you know, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli by Mark Seal is, was a, a phenomenal read last year. I loved it. I'm in the middle of it now, actually. It, it's superb. It's awesome. I it's haven't really read good. that one. It, 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 it's superb. Mark Seal is a longtime reporter for Vanity Fair, and he is a consummate journalist. Hmm. And the book is fantastic and a page turner. But for those of us who, right. you know, it down. are writing about the women... And I write about the men just as much. Uh, We need your support. We need it. For example, Sons of Italy, I've taken out the ad on the back of that magazine. Oh, I don't know, for 20 years, four times a year. Therefore, NIAF never invited me to anything. (laughs) Just being honest. (laughs) I mean, why wouldn't you want me? Why wouldn't you want me? I'm going to roll in and entertain your peeps. And you're going to have a ball and you're going to be like, she's one of us. Why wouldn't you invite me? Because of the other thing? 
I mean, this is where it gets a little dicey. So Stephanie, to answer your question. Yeah. And the other part of this is if you want to support us buy the book. Yeah. Yeah. Then we'll have our answer. You know, you want to save Columbus. Why don't you save the living? Yeah, Why don't true. you do something for the children of these people you see here? It's a t-shirt, John. Because if I can sell this, I could sell your book. And I do it. Everybody knows what I do. Okay. Because I'm not in it for, I, I really want our people to get the respect that they deserve. Okay. And everybody's got a different way of doing it. Some things you got to go through the legal system. I think you go through the heart. I agree with that. I think that's how you get to people. I always think that everything is about appealing to people's humanity and we're so good at being human and that's the stories we have to tell they're really human yeah absolutely and listen you got great leadership in the italian american community you know like i love angelo vivolo there's a lot of people i love okay and i think that they're fantastic and i don't want there to be an italian american moment i want there to be an italian american runway yeah but see the problem is on the flip side of the people who want to take everybody else on their back to success with them and beyond. There's a whole segment of our. That's not what I'm talking community. about. Whoa, 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 John, you're getting me wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, listen, I can't pull the wagon. I can't pull it, but I can make it clear that what I write, a lot of people, most of the people that buy me are not Italian American. Right. But I think every Italian American should buy my books. Don't get me wrong. This is your story. This is your people. This is over 20 books. You could read whatever you want. In many incarnations, New York Italian, Southern Italian, Southern American Italian. You, you get the whole mishpuka here. But I don't have to pull anybody. Listen, there's a, there's a young writer named Ethan Joella. His grandmother or mother wrote to me and said, hey, can you help him? He got book of the month before I did. Wow. Okay. And I, I, I can keep going here. Lisa Scottolini, if you don't own her books, there's something wrong. She's the quintessential Italian-American writer. And she writes everything from thrillers to eternal historical fiction. Listen, if you want me to get on the soapbox here, I can keep giving you authors. David Baldacci, if you don't own him, you're not supporting your people. It's true. But I think there are a lot of people who don't want to support one another. There's a lot of people who, there's a lot of jealousy that comes in. Yes. Right. Okay. I don't know about that. You guys can discuss that amongst yourself. I don't believe in it. I think if you know about it, you can do better. Okay. And if people are envious or jealous, that's that's on them. It's not on you. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. I, I just wish people would accept the message that, you know. Who's the, jealous? The... I never had anybody be jealous. I mean, we try to be the antidote to that. Well, who's you know, jealous? We try to be. Well, Who are these people? I never met them. You know them. what? I'll jump in and say something quick because I had that when I was dealing with my books. I do localized history. And a lot of times people will say to me, you're just doing this as a money-making scheme. And I'm like, if you knew how much I actually earned off of my books, you would not say that <laughs> because you're doing it for the love of it. And there are people who actively, because they had an issue with me in the past or they, there were words said or whatever that will not buy my books and will not support. And it's ridiculous because we should try to at least help each other out on these things, but we don't. I got in trouble. I understand. I got in trouble. Yeah. Because I do a lot with colleges and schools and young people, right? Uh, I, I try to do as much as I can, okay? But no good deed goes unpunished. I got in trouble because a mutual Italian-American said, we're doing something with, will you put your, lend your name to it? And it blew up. And they, the people that I agreed to let my, have my name 
didn't tell me the full story, okay? You make mistakes like that. But I had nasty things said about me. Oh, I'm not going to read her anymore. I'm going to like that. And I thought yes. to myself, yep. what kind of people are we talking about here? Well, then don't read my books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm talking you know, about. I'm talking about that. The pettiness. Yeah, that, listen, pettiness. You're going to get that with anything. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, that's not even, that's beyond what I'm even talking about. I'm talking about the initial step of do you support your people? Do you support them? Because if you don't, how can you expect anyone else to? But that's what's so different about you, Adri. I mean, I, I remember when I first met you, I couldn't believe how awesome you were and how helpful I you I saw this beautiful girl in the corner of a big room with big eyes. She was, I'm talking about Rosella Rago. Beautiful, <laughs> this beautiful girl who had written a cookbook. And I saw you and you raised your hand and I thought, she's spectacular. That's my first instinct about you, Ro, was you're spectacular. Now, since then, I've gotten to know her. She is beyond spectacular. She's magnificent. And her work is superb. Dolores, her writing. I read an early manuscript of Dolores. It's Dolores, you got the gift. You know, now, we have lives, too. We get babies, or we get married, or we do this, or we do that. And we need each other. When you're ready, I'm here. When you're not ready, pump the brakes. It's okay. The point I am making is if you lead with an open heart, you will pretty much love everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the listeners of this show, I mean, most everyone's aware of my writing and my path or not path. And I've talked so much about uh, publishing and the, like things I've hit up against. Um, so I, I've had major editors and agents read that manuscript, which is at this point, an old one to me, but, you know, and feel that the writing was wonderful, but, but this story about Italian immigrants and a young girl in like the eighties and nineties was like, where's the story, you know? However, then I look at you, Adri, I look at Rosella, who's on her third cookbook and there is a market, there is room for it. And the more that I see, you know, women like you doing it, the better it is for all of us. I mean, I have my own path. I have my own issues, (laughs) my own, you know, whatever it is, roadblocks. You know, when when we talk about you, Dolores, let's get specific. When we talk about you, God, we look at the business side of it. We go, (laughs) we need more agents. We need Italian American agents. We don't have a lot of that. Right. However, my agent just hasn't has an Italian American assistant now. Here we go. Right. Here we go. Now you read yeah. it because yeah. everybody in training in these places are going to go up the food chain. John, we're talking about your go- glorious alma mater, which I have a deep love for Fordham. That's it's right. right here. You know what I said? Let's bring writers to the campus. I know them all. Let's just trudge up there and do it. Yeah. I mean, if we begin to think in terms of what am I going to invent and create here? You know, I was, I was having lunch with Louise Riccio and I said, and her husband sent me a message. Stop trying to lure me into projects. He's hilarious. He used to own Barnes and Noble. So (laughs) Barnes and Noble, but he's young and there is a wealth of experience and talent there 
that Len can offer to our community. So this is what I'm saying. I don't let go of people. It's like I hold on to them. I don't let go of Dolores being on the bestseller list. I don't let go of Stephanie getting on there, of Rosella getting on there, of John, if that's your inclination. It's like I don't let go. And I've noticed this too. There's a lot of people writing about our Italian American community that are not Italian American now, and every other yeah. community. Oh, yeah. oh, wait, wait, wait. They talk about <laughs> cultural appropriation, but except when it comes to Italians, yeah. there's no cultural appropriation. For some reason, it's okay. Now, I'm going to tell you as an artist, you can write about anything you want, but the rules, the, the imaginary the rules, rules are that are out there. You know, we hit, 100%. we hit these, yep. you know, these fence lines that are electrocuted, you know, but we can't see them. Yeah. And I'm sharing with yep. you, yes, they Agreed. exist, but I would let that deter me for 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. Well said, they can kiss yeah. my Italian American, you know what? <laughs> Adrian is just always one of those people when there's a problem she gets in there like you're crazy Italian Zia and I one time you, you said the funniest thing you were like nobody messes with me because I'm a gorilla <laughs> it's true they're a little bit scared of me like that. and good <laughs> be a little scared because you know something when you're talented and I'm speaking to to the four of you who are all brilliantly talented, all have found your way in this world. You must defend that like it's the Bastille. And I ain't kidding. I don't care what people say about me because for every one of them, there's a couple hundred that really love me. But as a woman, to, to be able to watch you just be so comfortable with yourself and stand up for yourself because you know as italian american women we're taught to be nice girls don't make a fuss and adri's like no no make a fuss when it's about your work when it's about you know your 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 reputation make a big friggin fuss that's right and i hope and you know what ro you've learned that lesson i mean you're allowed to be direct to ask questions because hey you're making them money Okay. When I'm making somebody money, I think we've got a relationship going here. And I think, and listen, I'm so now when I say lucky by that, I mean, if it ain't working, get out and get with people who do get you. And if you're not getting published, let's keep figuring this out. Who will publish it? Now, listen to what Dolores just said about the, and I'm going to tell you, the 80s and 90s are too soon for a memoir. Too many people were alive, including all of us. She's told me this before. Off <laughs> mic. What if, what if, I know it's coming. <laughs> what if you did one of two things with it? You either set it back in time or that you could do that if you wanted, because the dilemmas are the dilemmas. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted to capture the time that we're talking about, you make it a contemporary novel, a contemporary story. And yours is more of a memoir. I get it. But you fictionalize it. John and I were just talking about this, right, John? Okay. Yep, so I can John's say right. it. And I, I have, John's right. I've not been invited to read the manuscript, but uh, I have said. <laughs> I'm that... pretty sure I have. I just probably never gave it to you. John, we need you because we're going to call you the trampoline. Because we <laughs> oh, can bounce on you the idea and you, you give us a gut. Oh reaction 
which is, by the way, priceless. I do. I do actually feel like we all do that to each other. That's the beauty of all of us on the show. We are creatives who have built a friendship and built a trust, obviously impacted by our shared heritage and that familiarity that's just, you know, you, you can take for granted that you're so familiar from the very beginning. And we do all tend to throw creative ideas around at each other. And I think that that, to me, is the best kind of process because I'm not a writer, but I'm an artist, uh, a visual artist, and obviously this content creation stuff is, is an artistic and creative exercise. And I always find that an artist can, or any kind of creative person, someone who's creating can really struggle with the difficulty sometimes in expressing what you see in your head, whether it's visual or the words that you are feeling uh, when it's when it's writing, and you do need trusted colleagues to bounce things off of. And I, and I think that things get better in that process. If you trust the person and you trust their taste and you trust their creativity, I'm not the kind of person who falls on his sword to protect a vision for something. I think that I get the most out of the conflict of other people's ideas and opinions and and uh, perspectives on things. I think that that's so valuable. And, you know, that to me is the kind of stuff we need to encourage. You know, you talk about Fordham and in the publishing industry. And I think to myself sometimes, you know, if, if I'm going to continue my attempts to be a community leader, what kind of things can I do that are outside the box for the community? And, and, you know, we've got a lot of, we don't have a lot, but thankfully now we have a few chairs in Italian American studies and Italian studies and, we have institutes and things like that. And, you know, maybe maybe that's something we need. Maybe we need a, an institute at a university for Italian-American literature and to create a, a space for people to be around those like yourself who are accomplished mentors and to be around industry insiders. Like you said, your agent's assistant is Italian-American. Mm-hmm. People who are active in this in this field, give them a venue to be together, give them a venue to connect and share those connections because we, we do want to see more. Mm-hmm. Higher, higher, higher Italian Americans. Like my, my system right now is Italian American. Okay. It, it, you know, now listen, you got to think across the boards because we want to, we want to pull in everybody, right? We want to get our brown sisters in there. We want to get our black sisters in there, our Asian sisters. We want to get everybody in there, our Indian sisters. We want to get everybody in there. But you're not strong unless you are able to stand up for what it is you're trying to say. Spring has sprung, and there's no better time to immerse yourself in the sights and sounds of Italy. With Mediaset Italia, you can experience the best of Italy from home, bringing you the best programming from Italian channels Canale 5, Italia 1, and Rete 4 as soon as it airs in Italy. Mediaset Italia has something for everyone, such as the latest in news, politics, and pop culture from sources you trust. Top-rated reality shows and competition shows for non-stop entertainment. And the latest dramas and serials starring the biggest names in Italy. There's always something new on Mediaset Italia to kick back and enjoy at the end of the day. Check with your local television provider today. Now, I want to address the nice girl thing because I, can, I am a very nice person. But when it comes to my work, I'm a pile driver and I annoy people, I'm sure. 
and some people love it. Some people hate it. But my publisher said of me behind my back and it got back to me. She said, I wish everybody came in here like that. Hmm. Prepared, Mm -hmm. knowledgeable. Right. And here's the plan. What's your plan for me? Now, the other part of this is then you have to know too, and Ro, you know this, you have to let the publisher do what they do and your agent do what they do. You can't tell them what to do which would be like a lot of Italian girls inclination to just take the circus over. No, no, no. You're going to work as a team. And you know, John, when we're looking around the world for projects, there still is not, and has not been established by a Scorsese or um, I'm going to just pick, cherry pick the very tippity tippity top of the successful Italian Americans. But I understand Mr. Scorsese is still scrapping He's raising money to make his projects. I get it. But where is, at the height of our profession, I already bring people onto my, I figure out how to train them. I pick up the phone and call, but you need to be directing, I say to a woman. You need to be directing. I see it in your eye. Now, not everybody can do it. I understand that. And not everybody wants to do it. But there has to be a sense of what are the possibilities. Now, if, if steel was our primary export in 1940, and in 2022, it's entertainment. Let's do the math. Yeah. The yeah. podcast, the movies, the television shows. You can't sell an Italian-American half-hour comedy in the United States of America as an Italian-American because I have tried. No. Now, I want to change that before I'm dead. I really want to change it. That, that kills me that we can't. Because I've, I've slept Mario Cantone out there. I have slept in brilliant ideas. They all light up in the room and then you leave and they ain't going to give you the gig. No, That has to change. But that's where somebody like John Viola comes in. You know, it's funny you say that. I had one meeting in my six years at NIAF with Martin Scorsese and uh, I got it because. I don't mean to pick was, on him. I love his. No, partner. no, no. I love him. I, he, he was love he him. was he was actually like you said. He was in the process, which shocked me, of raising money. I know, for, right? Uh, to be at that stage, and you know. oh my god! I mean, if you're Martin Scorsese, you would think that there'd be just people throwing stacks of hundreds at him. But well. here he was raising money to do a sequel to his "My Voyage to Italy," his his ode to Italian cinema, and it came to me through one of the producers in Italy, and I said I would like to meet him and discuss some stuff, and I had was new at new at NEF at the time. And I said to him, look, you know, we don't, as an institution, have the kind of resources to help you fund this film. But I did want to talk about efforts around both new Italian-American filmmakers and and preservation. And he and I spent probably two hours together talking about this idea of a a film institute. And uh, when I left, he said to me, you know, I'm not a joiner. I don't particularly see myself, you know, in, in joining boards and this and that. And he's like, but this is an idea that I could get behind and, and something that I would join and, and really participate in. Now he, you know, now he's 80. Okay. Yeah. So he has, he, he's going to be directing, believe me, it takes energy and, and guiding the script process and all of that. I get it. It's a different way of doing it, but a man has that luxury. I do not. Mm. I don't get that luxury. I got to be behind every single aspect of my filmmaking. You know, it's great. I was having a conversation. I'm going to out her. Gail Berman, she's brilliant. Okay. She put American Idol on the air, but she's a great film producer. She's doing the Elvis, the new Elvis Presley movie. She, she's, she's a phenom. And she first hired me when I wrote on um, the Dolly Parton sitcom down in Florida. Okay. If you know my stuff, you know that I love Dolly and I work for Dolly and I love her. Okay. Gail made that happen. Okay. 
And she called me a couple of weeks ago and she goes, hey, have you ever hooked up with Scorsese? Now he's at my agency. I have floated this idea a thousand times. If I sat with him for five minutes, I bet I would figure it all out for the Italian-American filmmaker. I mean, I think so. Um, I love his work, but there's not, you got to do, you got to have people reaching out and pulling things together. You know, I see things all the time on Instagram, not that I'm on it enough, but my little staff makes me look at it. I don't really have time for it, but we have all the Italian scroll throughs. Okay. And they did this thing with Fellini, Scorsese, you know, and there were no, and I said, where are the women? Where's Nancy Savoca? And I named them. Where are they? Why are you doing this? Why are you as Italian Americans perpetuating this stuff? Now I don't care. And by the way, help me. If I want to make a 10 episode arc for television out of this, and there's interest, who knows who to get to who? Okay. You say something interesting there. I think from a perspective as an Italian American male, maybe because I'm younger, I was 28 when I went to NIAF and was sort of tasked with how do you bring this thing into the 21st century? And one of the first things that I said was, you know, we need some diversity on our board. Obviously, it's going to be Italian Americans or Italians, but we need some youth. We need some women. We, we, we only had three or four women on the board. I mean, incredible women, accomplished women. But it was like, to be honest, it was kind of met by the majority like a fart in church because they didn't see the need. And I kept pounding every year back and forth. Like We take our energy. Listen, save Columbus. I don't really know. I said change it to Cabrini Day. Why don't you name it after a woman who really changed the world? I'm sorry. Superstar. See, that's a Superstar. sign from my mother in heaven. She just... <laughs> Um, you know, listen, I'm all for whatever. Okay. You can't get the women on board about this Columbus thing. You can't get them on board because they don't care. They don't care. That does not affect their day-to-day lives. It does not. And I've made the calls. Okay. But there's this whole thing around it, you know, and I respect these guys. Okay. Yeah, I get it. It's your great. You're worried about your grandparents at Ellis Island. Me too. I've written 20 damn books about it. Have you read them? Have you read them? Yeah, exactly. Right. Have you read them? Boom. Mic drop. (laughs) It's a problem. It's a problem in our community. It really is. We are not really good at exploring the entirety of our experience. John, John, wait a minute. You are. You're you're a man. You work with women all the time. And by the way, John doesn't have to. He could be doing this by himself with, you know, a couple of chuckleheads, you know, but he's not. You, you want to hear a horrible story? Because I'm, I'm pretty, I, I was raised by a tough Sicilian lady. I married an equally tough Abruzzese and Tuscan lady. And I, I, I enjoy working with women. I, I think that there's a different perspective. I think there's a different way that women negotiate situations and, and challenges that I, I really think is immensely valuable. So, you know, the, the ladies on here know that I, relish the opportunity because I do think there's different perspectives and one time Stephanie and I were on a call we hired a company uh, for a project we're doing and it was owned by two Italian American women from Pennsylvania and they were talking about how you know how women have all these challenges and they run the business and they have families this and that and I put my foot in my mouth really trying to be honest and complimentary and I said I've said for a long time we should just let you guys run everything and one of the women answered without skipping a beat and said 
what makes you think we don't already right, we do. no you're right <laughs> you do i'm very i i didn't mean it like this sort of condescending like let you i just meant like we should be comfortable with the idea that this is how it is and you know but and replaying and of the whole like, thing right now i know i'm like yeah. stop yeah. somebody stop no I, this is why that's why i don't talk but. Okay, but listen, listen, 70% of the books in the United States of America are, are bought by women, and 72% of the movie tickets are bought by women, and there's nothing to go see at the movie theater most of the time. So something's wrong. We're not doing our part. I'm going to say this. Your wife with Tuscan heritage should drop, tuck, and roll and read The Good Left Undone tonight. <laughs> she, believe me, I'm she will. That to Stephanie, I'm saying it to, to Dolores, and I'm saying it to Roe. Drop, tuck, and roll and read this because it's a game changer. And you'll know when you read it what I'm talking about because there's delicious male characters in it. And and John, you don't have to read it. It, I I don't expect anybody to, to, but what I am expecting is that, or the expectation should be that you give it to somebody you love to read. You don't have to read it. I don't care because they'll tell you then. That's another way that a book can gain word of mouth. Now, I've been at this now for three years promoting this book and it's finally coming out in two weeks. Okay, great. I get it, but I can't do it without my community. I cannot do it. And I am counting on my community. Now, NIAF has never invited me to anything. I don't know why. Uh, Sons of Italy, they've been very nice. Uh, there's another one called Unico. They're kind of small, but they're great. Okay. I just did the Italian Welfare League. I think Ro might have had a hand in that. Uh, the other night, the ladies were, they were wonderful. I do a lot of lodge work. I, go, I get out in there. But if you want my book to be number one, Italian Americans make, can make it number one. Well, you know, while they're saving Columbus, they can get the book and read it. <laughs> yeah, we, we got more purchasing power than we realize. We're 20 something million of us. And like people will say about a, an, an episodic. A sitcom, you know, oh, there's not an audience. There's not an Italian-American audience. Well, first of all, audiences are more particularized than they've ever been, right? right? People consume in a completely different way. And secondly, there's a huge audience because there's a huge audience for this show, and there's a ton of people out there who would any other institution outside of our community would write off as too assimilated, too young, too diverse, not interested. And here they are listening to this show because they want open and accessible sources about our heritage. So... There's an audience there, I've and we do have to the purchasing the first power. person, there are maybe a couple that have changed their surnames, okay? But I've yet to meet the first person who didn't want to be Italian. <laughs> I had Amen. And I am well-traveled, folks. I've yet to meet them, even in foreign, I don't care where I go. Or there's an affinity for our people in Middle Europe, in Israel, in Africa. There's an affinity because everybody went through Italy, as we know, okay? So, so this is history talking. And in the Italian-American world, we take a lot of guff. But why? Why? Why is that allowed? And we have to figure it out. You know, if you love this book, you get on your social media and you tell people, this book mattered to me for these reasons. That's it. If we don't, if we don't support one another, if we don't buy the books, if we don't talk about them, if we don't share them, if we don't let the institutions out there understand that we're doing this, we're going to continue to be really the only community out there whose story can be told by 
anybody who wants to and can be absconded with and can be mismanaged. And, you know, we complain about it a lot. Well, how do we change it? We change it by supporting. Well, we know we're not perfect. We know that. But in order for us to climb to the heights in literature, history, art, in this country, I'm not talking about historically speaking. I'm talking about now. We really need each other. And we really must embrace each other. And in the telling of these stories, you understand, I'm, I, I try to say this, and Stephanie and I have had this conversation, Ro and I have had this conversation, and Dolores and I have been, first time I meet you, Joan, is that when you support me, you support all of us. When I support Ro, I support all of us. Yeah. When I support Stephanie's writing and her books, I support all of us. The same with Dolores. That's it. Then some kid that maybe isn't a writer, but has a vowel on the end of her name goes, I think I'd like to represent these writers. I think I'd like to be an agent. Yeah. Or at Fordham where I'm trying to, you know, get the book thing kicking up there because it's close to New York City. It is New York City, but I mean, close to Manhattan, whatever. We bring them to the students. We go there. And even, even the men that run things in, our, in, in NIAF and Sons of Italy and so on and so forth, the Columbus Citizens Foundation and this and that. Of course, there's a woman running that now, which is kind of exciting, but I'm just saying there's an opening up because ultimately what always happens with men is that they go, okay, yeah, you, you can do it. Yeah. But I want it to be bigger than that. I want it to be explosively bigger than that. I want you to get the connection between you, John Viola, and me. I want you to understand that when we do this, we all do better. Yeah. Adriana, I have to tell you, Something happened in Scranton the one time when you did the Big Stone Gap movie showing here and you came in over the live stream for everyone. I was there that night and I was speaking to people and there was a young woman in attendance and she didn't know me or anything, but she wanted to come because she loved your books. She loves you, which as she should. And she struck up a conversation with me after it. She told me that she wanted to be a writer and we ended up becoming very good friends. We went out for coffee a few times, just chit-chatted. And, you know, now she's in law school, so she changed her career path. But it was just nice to be able to have that connection that I never would have been able to make if it wasn't for you coming in that night. So you're helping people just connect and that type of networking just among young women. You know, I was able to help her a little bit, just encouraging her with her writing through you coming and speaking to our group that time. And I think that's what you're talking about right now is just making those connections and that support system. My belief is I I did not know John Viola's grandfather or his grandmother, but I know them through him. Stephanie, I didn't know your grandmother, your grandfather, but I know I know through you, I know them. Exactly. Ain't that the truth? The segment of people that are pea green, we call it the green talus syndrome that they're twisted with, it's very small. The yeah. large swath wants their children to succeed. You know how many mothers write to me? I do everything. I drop, tuck, and roll for them. If I can do something, I will do it. You will. Absolutely could not agree more. And if he was here, Pat would say, buy the book, buy the book, buy the book. This is an amazing Woman, this is an amazing creative and an amazing mentor to so many in our community, including the three ladies in my life here on the platform today. So go out and buy the book. It is going to be, I'm sure, a fantastic one, and uh, we're going to link to it on our show page so you can get it right through the show page. And uh, I know I'm going to get one, and uh, I think everybody on here is going to get one. So 
I make some good reading as spring turns into summer. And guys, it's Holy Week right now, so I, I'm sure everybody has big plans for Easter. We're going to take a week off for Easter Monday, Pasquetta, and give everybody a chance to just relax and enjoy family because I'm sure I speak for all of us. I don't know about you guys, but I don't have any desire to interrupt my Easter pie leftovers on Monday with the recording for Tuesday. So I think it's safe to say we're going to come back. Yeah, we're going to come back on April 26th with an all-new episode. But we got a lot of people in the neighborhood who, if we release on a Wednesday instead of a Tuesday, are looking for the show. So I'm going to give everybody a heads up now and say no show next week, but we'll be back in two weeks with uh, a whole other episode. And I'm sure one that everybody will enjoy. And I do have to announce, uh, before we go, we were talking a little bit with Adriana about all the support and filmmakers and, you know, the Russo brothers film forum is something that we've all been involved in. And I was thinking about them. Yeah. Yeah. Their 2021 winner, the film potentially dangerous, which was directed by Zach Believa, who was on the show a bunch of episodes ago uh, to, to talk about the project. They are going to be doing a screening and a Q and a with him at the Kosha Institute for the Italian American experience in New Jersey, Wednesday, April 20th at 7 PM. So if anybody's inclined in the off week, to take some time after Easter and Pasquetta and go see this film and have a Q&A with the director. We want to make sure they know, and it'll be on our social media, and we'll link to everything. So well worth going out and seeing this, and again, supporting Italian-Americans in the creative field. So that's really what this episode boils down to. Guys, I hope you guys all have great plans for Easter. It's going to be hopefully a peaceful week for everybody. Happy Easter. Buona Pasqua. Yeah, Buona Pasqua, everybody. Hopefully it's a wonderful holiday. Get your fill of Easter pies. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. To be great. See that you're born in Italiano, and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano.